So if, if you do a podcast like that, it would be interesting to get someone who went to a place like RIT that was, you know, just tech and nothing else and see how experiences compared. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Summer Tech Podcast. Today we have Ben, our wonderful tech director. Hello. And we're joined by Roger, who is a Summer Tech alumni. He's been a senior staff member, a lead counselor, and well-known and well-loved by almost everybody on staff, I think, was there when you were Roger, and a whole bunch of uh, kids should know who you are as well. Yeah, I've been uh, been back a few times throughout the years, and it's always great to come back to Summer Tech, and very, very glad I get to stay involved a little bit. Before we sort of get into who you are and, and some of the ideas that we had to talk about today, Roger, I just wanted to start out by asking, is there anything that you guys have seen about tech in the news that we should sort of start out by talking about? Any interesting current events or anything like that? So I guess deep fakes are a pretty big <laughs> uh, topic that's sort of come and gone. But recently I saw the creators had a still pretty funny. It's like their typical humor. Um, they had a pretty good uh, little 15 minute uh, comedy video on YouTube. And then I also saw an article about people who make social media accounts with computer generated images. So they basically have either a cartoon character or a computer generated image that's meant to look like a real person. And they have a profile for someone who doesn't exist at all. For what purpose? I, I mean, I think it's just, you know, trying to be an influencer. So, you know, whatever privilege would be, would whatever privileges come along with being a traditional social media influencer. So maybe it's just getting a lot of followers to run ads on your feed or maybe you want to be able to promote businesses or, you know, influence people to like certain products. We should have been doing this for Summer Tech for years. <laughs> Making What would the uh, deep summer fake tech. Summer Tech camper look like if you made them a social media influencer? <laughs> so I'd heard of this, uh, well, I'd heard of like, I don't want to say fake personas, but like the fictional personas in more of a cartoon aspect. Like, you know, I've heard of like, VTubers or, or things that are everybody knows that this is a fictional character and it's not trying to pretend to be like a real human but I never considered deep fake social media or deep fake influencer that's really interesting for for everybody who's tuning in and doesn't know what a deep fake is could you give us like a 30 second explanation so the name deep refers to deep learning which is a uh technique to generate these images, but I imagine the technique, the term deep fake will probably outlive deep neural networks as the way of generating these. And it's basically a computer generated video of a face that's the mouth's moving and it, it's not a video that was actually recorded by a camera. So you can have a celebrity or a politician and make a video of them and make it look like they're saying a certain thing. And right now these videos are pretty crude. So if you go on YouTube and watch the hundreds of Obama deep fakes, it's pretty easy to tell that this is fake and is not a real video, but obviously the technology is going to improve. And so there's a lot of concern that it's going to be harder to de determine what's real or fake or not. And also if people aren't paying attention or they just look at a headline, 
they might be tricked into believing that, you know, Obama or whoever someone generated this fake footage of said something that they really didn't. It's really frightening. It seems like over the past, I don't know, I guess 60 years, we've gone from image alteration being very difficult. Like you look at pictures of the Soviets trying to get people out of photos when they you know, become political enemies and it just looks like there's a ghost there, like someone has their arm over someone that's not in the picture. And then you jump to having Photoshop and suddenly altered images are getting really good. And now we have this and altered images are so good that they're indistinguishable from actual images. I had no idea the Soviets were doing that. Oh yeah, the, if you look it up, there's a lot of funny images of people poorly removed from photos. I wonder if they had to use uh, mechanical airbrushes back in that time. That's probably what it was. That's fascinating. I, I, coming at it from a different angle, I remember reading stories about how deep learning and, and machine learning have really powered breakthroughs in machine translation, which is sort of translating the, the automatic translation of one spoken language or written language to another. And I remember sort of some of the motivation of that being like reading stories about how the U.S. government thought that they could write programs to translate um, Russian like way, you know, many, many, like 40 years ago, 50 years ago, and they thought it'd be over in a snap. And they wrote, you know, it became this very expensive project that went nowhere and, and was not successful. Um, so it's interesting to see sort of computer vision uh, making being related back to what the Soviets were doing with editing photos and then uh, computer translation also kind of maybe the famous story or... from those efforts was there's that Russian phrase uh, the spirit is strong but the flesh is weak and the computer translated that to the vodka is good but the meat is rotten <laughs> <laughs> a typical meal in the Soviet Union I mean another previous manifestation of this idea was you know there was this movie in the mid 2000s called catfish oh, about yeah, yeah. making fake profiles on the internet and trying to convince someone this is real either because they think they're dating this person who doesn't exist or they think it's just a friend and deep fakes aren't something you can generate in real time but it seems like a similar idea where you know before you used to be limited to tricking people just through text but now you can actually have a video that fools people i hear a lot of people also say that you know the answer is better detection technology you know so if you have deep learning creating uh deep fakes then you should be able to use machine learning and deep learning to identify deep fakes but knowing just a little bit about machine learning or deep learning it 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 seems like those are exactly the tools that are already used to generate deep fakes and make them better. Like part of what the network that's training to learn how to make these fake videos or fake images is already has like part of the network that's trying to detect if it's fake or not in order to, as part of that training process. So is that, you know, Roger, we're sort of segueing into one of the things that you had brought up talking about, you know, that, that like loosely talking about machine learning and, and what the hype is and, and what people potentially students could learn is is sort of where maybe this podcast is going after we also talk a little bit about you and your experience at summer tech which we want to be able to do um asking this rambling question about it do you think that that is sort of a, a worthwhile pursuit or does that kind of just seem doomed like efforts to detect deep fakes are just gonna ultimately lead to those deep fakes becoming better in a never-ending cycle yeah i think those efforts will be very fruitful and very important and you know one of the things going back to what you were saying earlier ben is with 
Photoshop images, that's something that computers really enabled the detection of. So, you know, back before everyone had their own home computer, if you saw one of those airbrushed Russian photos, it might not be apparent that this was Photoshopped, but there are computer programs that will look at the pixels in the image and see, is there a pixel that seems like an outlier that, you know, because, you know, sort of if this is a natural photograph, you know, nature sort of obeys order and there are, you know, natural distributions that will just present themselves in any real photograph. And when you Photoshop an image, that breaks. And so detecting doctored photos is possible with algorithms and computer programs. And right now there are programs that will you know, detect deep fakes. And Matt, you're sort of getting at having a network generate an image and then having, uh, it's called a discriminator that can tell, is this yeah, real or a, is this fake? It's um, a GAN. Exactly right, yeah. yeah. So, so that is how a lot of these networks are generating these images. Um, and so certainly detecting deep fakes is going to be harder. And, you know, unfortunately, what a lot of computer security devolves into is a bit of a cat and mouse game. So with spam email, for example, the companies like Google that run email services, you know, they're always getting better about being able to detect spam and phishing attacks. But on the other hand, you've got attackers that are getting more sophisticated as well. And so it is definitely a race where you know the people trying to make the security software will do some things and then the attackers will do some other things and um it is going to be a back and forth and i yeah i imagine that back and forth will happen with deep fakes the same way it's currently happening with spam email and malicious computer programs so i did want to talk a little bit about our main subject of the podcast or or a main subject of the podcast that we brought up where we wanted to take a little bit of a look at some of the hype around machine learning and, and deep learning and, and what does that actually mean and then maybe start to look into what does that mean for someone who's starting to learn programming for the first time what can they reasonably look to pick up in terms of skills with machine learning deep learning or ai um and what kind of prerequisites or, or hard skills will they need to to make them successful and so I know, well, first of all, do you want to talk a little bit about your background in this area, Roger? Sure. So I work uh, in an area called wearable cognitive assistance. And so the high level goals we want with that are someone can put a camera, you know, strap a camera to their head and put in headphones and complete a task, maybe you know, putting together a piece of furniture from Ikea. And you know, the headphones will tell them an instruction, they'll do that, and then the camera will watch what they do, and completely automatically the computer can figure out when they've completed a step correctly or when they've made a mistake. And so you can imagine there's a lot of work that goes into having a computer that can look at an image coming from a camera that someone, you know, that shows someone putting together a piece of furniture and figure out you know, you've done what I told you correctly and you've made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And the techniques that we use to be able to do this 
are very recent. And so computer vision is an old field, but about five or six years ago, there was a big explosion in this field called deep learning. And that displaced a lot of the old techniques that were being used, not just for computer vision, but also speech recognition. And you know, like we were talking about before, language translation. Um, and so those, those are the techniques that I've been working with. And I don't know, you know, I could get into a bit of the history of that or get into more of, you know, what are the implications of trying to learn how to use this? I don't think there's anybody who hasn't at least heard the terms machine learning or deep learning in the past few years. It, it really has been a buzzword that's been everywhere because we're a bit of a tech podcast or a programming podcast. How would you feel about taking a stab at describing what deep learning is for someone who at a, maybe a slightly more technical than a popular science level without getting too stuck in the weeds here. And, and I'm asking you something potentially very tricky to do here, but we are computer science educators. Sure. So the, the very early AI efforts focused on what were called rules-based classifiers. So you could imagine if you're trying to look at pictures of dogs and cats and you wanted to figure out, you wanted to have a computer program that took an image and said, this is a dog, and took another image and said, this is a cat. The early way of doing this would be, you know, maybe look at the colors of certain pixels in the image and maybe compute some sort of average and say, you know, if the, you know, the average is in this range, I'm gonna say it's a dog. If the average is in a different range, I'm gonna say it's a cat. And you can imagine, you know, th this could work quite well in certain scenarios, but you know, maybe all of your data is just black dogs and brown cats. And then now you get a white dog and it totally doesn't work. So that's, I guess, you know, you have a bit of a, a problem there with, you know, biases in the data and your rules being too rigid. But the idea with machine learning is rather than having hard rules where I say like, if the pixel in the top left is red, you try and make decisions based on probability where I'll say, you know, if the pixel in the top left is red, that makes me think, you know, there's a 50% chance this is a dog. And then I weight that with a whole bunch of other features. And so this is a bad way of getting something that works in 100% of cases. But if you're willing to say, this isn't a medical diagnosis, it's okay for me to be wrong some of the time, you can do pretty well getting you know 95% of dogs correct if you start doing these probabilistic rules rather than just hard-coded rules. What, could someone jump right into doing machine learning or um, deep learning research without building their sort of learning how to program first? So I think it depends what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Right now, all the cloud providers like Google, Microsoft, Amazon, they have these products that use these techniques called AutoML, where they, they basically take a bunch of images and labels. 
So you upload all your photos that say dog and you upload all your photos that say cat and they do all of the work to give you basically code that you can run that will make those, you know, will label new images for you in the future. And so if you don't know any programming, you just want to do something with machine learning, using one of these products is probably a good introduction to this. And all these, you know, these companies are giving away tons of credits to use their new products. So if you just go, you know, go to your favorite company, whether it's, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, IBM, Google, and just sign up for an account, you can probably get a trial to use their AutoML product. And you don't have to know anything about what they're doing. They basically just, you know, let you download the code and you can run it and give it your image and, you know, it will, you know, assign the labels that it learned from the training data you gave it. Do those tools extend to other domains as well? Are there other things that a potential person who's interested in utilizing deep learning but doesn't necessarily have this technical background can start to get into? So natural language processing is another area where deep learning has really exploded. So mm -hmm. this would be the sort of thing where, um, you know, answering yes or no questions. Like if I ask you, you know, how tall, like, you know, is an elephant tall? You know, being able to, to answer that, you know, that with a yes or no, that's something that you can use deep learning for. The, you know, difficulty there is that the domain is less restricted than computer vision. Like, you know, if I just have a bunch of photos, you know, it's pretty easy to generalize. This is a cat, this is a dog. If I ask you, you know, is an elephant tall? Sure, an elephant's tall relative to a cat, but an elephant isn't tall relative to the Empire State Building. And so because you have these different domains, natural language processing might be harder to get into something usable there is AutoML research and you know other techniques using deep learning for natural language processing. As far as the products from cloud providers, I think those are less of give us your data and we'll train something based on them. And it's more of we have these models that we've trained on a whole bunch of things. And if you want to use everything that you know what we have, you know, we'll sell you that. But I don't think they have the same products that they do for vision where, you know, I can have my labels with anything I want and train something on. I think you're sort of limited to, you know, what they offer. And then if you want to train your own language models, I think, you know, that might require doing some more involved work. What would you say sort of some of the math required? Like what, what does someone need to know to get started there? Do they have to take potentially years of math in order to just start to dip their toes in or? It really depends on the goal and it really depends on how much you want to understand what's going on. You can, you know, train, train an image classifier using one of these cloud products and then, you know, download a Docker container that runs that and just, you know, make a little phone app that sends images to that container and then tells you the result of running the model. And doing that, you didn't need to know any math to use that, but you also have very little understanding of what go, what's going on. From your perspective, 
you gave Google or whatever company images with labels, they gave you a Docker container to run, and all you know basically is I give an image out and then I get a label or maybe also a bounding box back with you know, what the model thought was in this image. At that level, you don't need to know any math, but there's a lot more involved work you can do with those, those frameworks that requires varying levels of math knowledge. Was there anything that I should have asked or that you can think of that, you know, you wanted to share with us today on the podcast? I don't, I don't know how much people are interested in advice for things, but I would say I have advice for people who are pre-college and advice for people who are about to enter college or who are in college now. So I would say for people who are in high school, you're unlikely to get pe a lot of people who are, you know, really serious programmers that are teachers. You know, they're right now the market is, you know, a lot of companies need to hire software developers. There aren't a lot of developers there. And so it's probably hard to get a lot of instruction in programming in your school. And I think, you know, summer tech is sort of the, the best option for learning programming. But I think, you know, rather than lamenting that and, you know, getting frustrated with school, you know, learning calculus and learning statistics, those are both taught and learning physics. Those are all taught really well in high schools. And so I think, you know, maybe your primary love is programming. But I think when I was in high school, I, you know, I, I sort of got frustrated and was like, well, I'm going to not focus on school and, you know, just try to learn programming on my own. And I think if you sort of just lean into the situation that is, you know, high schools in the US right now where they're not going to teach you how to use a computer or how to program, but they are going to teach you calculus, statistics, and physics well. If you can just take advantage of all the opportunities to learn those that you can in high school, that will set you up really well to, you know, learn about these topics when you get to college because calculus and statistics are both hugely important for machine learning. And I think as far as going to college, um, I recommend against going to any specific, any school that just focuses on, you know, technology, unless it's MIT or Caltech. I think, you know, I went to Wash U, which was much more of a, we're trying to be good at everything. We have students interested in a lot of things. And I think that was a really good experience for me. And so, you know, no matter how interested you are in, you know, programming and you're sure that you just want to do computer stuff, I think trying to go to a more well-rounded college where you have people doing everything, you know, I, I would still recommend doing that. And then I think, you know, also when I was in college, I, I think I was focused a lot, you know, maybe too much on the academics. And I think there's a lot you can get out of college by joining a club that is nothing related to tech or computers. You know, all, all the clubs I was in were, you know, somewhat related to computer science or game development. And I, you know, I wish I had gotten into a play or, you know, did something like Model UN, because I, th I think it's important to just meet people and, you know, focus some of your times on, on things that have nothing to do with tech and computers. 
Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Summer Tech Podcast. As always, remember to follow us on your platform of choice. And if you are interested in signing up or learning more about Summer Tech or our year-round program, Codedom, you can head to www.summertech.net. Until next time, thank you. Awesome.